This is Mount Pleasant Baptist Church, Atlanta, Georgia, a congregation full of life and love with a legacy of outreach ministries. Everybody's invited to church in person Sunday at 10 a.m. and online at mountpleasantatl.org. And now, the Mount Pleasant Baptist Church, Atlanta. Praise God from whom all blessings flow, for he is worthy to be praised. From the rising of the sun going down the same, his name is worthy to be praised. Shall we pray? God, our Father, Father of ages past and our hopes to come, Master, we stop by to say thank you, for certainly you've been better to us than we've been to our own selves. God, we thank you for your grace your mercy, your kindness, and your generosity. We're thankful that you look beyond our faults and see our needs on a daily basis. We ask, that, oh God, that you bless this awaiting congregation. We ask that you pray blessings upon Pastor Benton and his wife and the leadership of this church. We pray that you continue to give us strength and encouragement. Allow us, oh God, to dig down in the deep treasures of your word so it allow us to navigate to a place that is pleasing to you. It's in your darling son, Jesus the Christ, name we do pray. Amen. Amen. We praise God from whom all blessings flow. We're thankful and grateful to be in this place on today. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here. And again, Pastor Benton and First Lady Benton and the leadership of this wonderful body of believers. It is certainly good to be in the house of prayer. I'm grateful that my wife has accompanied me to be a part of this experience on today. We look forward to what God is going to do in our lives as we share the written word of God. Now, lest we belabor the moment, if you have your Bibles, turn with us to the gospel according to St. Mark. That's John Mark, Mark the fifth chapter. And I want to read in your hearing verses 24 through 34. Uh, Mark's gospel, John Mark, often referred to the fifth chapter, and I want to begin at verse number 24. Whatever your custom is, is to either to rise or to sit, what have you, uh, we're grateful to um, engage that with you. So once you've discovered that passage of scripture, it reads as follows. So Jesus went with them and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and it was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment for she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Verse 30, and Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that the power had come out or gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you, and you say, who touched me? 
And he looked around to see her who had done this thing, but the woman fearing, trembling, and knowing what had happened to her came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. May God bless the reading of his word and sanctify our soul, illuminate our pathway and move us toward a place of learning and developing and cultivating our faith in him. You may be seated in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. I want to tag this text in this spotlight with this thought, and that is this, costly interruptions. Costly interruptions. Costly interruptions. When Dr. Martin Luther King was killed, his aides found this passage written in the note within his briefcase. And he says, I quote, the major problem of life is learning how to handle costly interruptions. The door that slammed shut, the plan that got sidetracked, the marriage that failed, or that lovely poem that did not get written because someone knocked on the door. And to stay in line with the, the contextual times in which we live, as today is the celebration of the 50th, 58th year, if you will, of what we know as Bloody Sunday. In Selma, Alabama, his compadre, John Lewis, who is noteworthy for being in the midst of this traumatic and ter terrible situation, I do believe that we would say that that was a costly interruption. Sisters and brothers, if we're all honest and truthful about the matter, each of us has experienced a costly interruption. Whether you're a sister or a brother experiencing the wounds of rejection or a brother engulfed, if you will, with the scars of being devalued and derailed. Perhaps a teenager or a young adult in the prime time or the springtime of your life and suddenly you are experiencing back-to-back -back failures or having the feeling of being overwhelmed with the emotion of unworthiness. I do believe that you would testify that that is a costly interruption. Conceivably, the ravages and the negative effects of the COVID-19 uh, can be construed and com uh, defined as a considerable series of costly interruptions. I don't know where you are today. If you came into this place today and haven't experienced a costly interruption, we can be truthful. We can be honest because I want to suggest to you that honesty before the almighty God will bring not only transformation, but it will cause you to go toward a place of elevation in your life. Once you experience the truth of God and the holistic nature of his word and he opens up and unveils what's wrong, whatever problem that you're experiencing or being challenged by, even if it is a costly interruption. I want to give you good news. He is still the great physician. He is still the great I am. He is still quicker than right now, faster than already, sooner than later. He is God. So no matter where you are in your life, 
It is a costly interruption. Here is John Mark. We find ourselves positioned, poised, and parked in this pericope on today. And I want to suggest to you that today, this sandwich level of technology, a sandwich level of theology, because it is a miracle within a miracle. It's a story within a story. Here we have on one score, Jairus, that great administrator of Jewish life who has a daughter that's experiencing in a, a moment in time of dying and decline. And on the other score, we have this woman with the issue of blood who is at a place of an incurable disease. Some have said that Jairus was one that was respected and the woman who with the, with the issue of blood was a woman that was rejected. Wherever you are, it's understand and underscore the wideness of God's love, the of God's grace no matter how much you have messed up no matter how much you have gone through no matter what's happening on your plate on today know this that God is so wide that you can't get around him he's so low that you can't go beneath him no matter where you are in your life that costly interruption does not put you outside of the purview of God because he's microscopic in his nature. It is a costly interruption. Here it is. Allow me to deal with this momentarily, brothers and sisters. Here it is. I want to suggest to you that on today, as we look at this, as we look at this woman, focus on this woman. This woman is mangled with a malady and stands in a need of a miracle because the sweet over of hope and favor have faded into the abyss of despair. She's living along the seashores of Capernaum, the headquarters of Jesus, and here she is, and Mar God gives us a glimpse of a woman grasping for methods to resolve her physical challenge, her emotional brokenness, her psychological pain. Consequently, John Mark calls us, gives us an opportunity to take a close sneak preview at her personal chart to see what's happening with her. Some have said that you and I must find ourselves in a place where we get an opportunity to not only to see her personal chart, but we're also able to be disclosed and, and exposed to her exit strategy from a dysfunctional period in her life. It is this woman, and so I want to invite you to go with me on this journey with this nameless but yet noble woman within the fabric of a story is woven a winning strategy for the wounds that are overwhelming her at this time. Are you there? If you're not afraid, if you're not afraid to walk behind a puddle of blood, if you're not afraid to walk behind blood dripping from a woman, if you're not afraid to be, deal with the stuff that comes from the stench of blood, if you're not afraid, I want to invite invite you on a journey. It may cause you to put your footprints in the blood but I want to suggest to you that the blood can bring forth the blessing when you see the burden that God is dealing with inside of this woman. You will leave footprints but the footprints will not lead you to a place of friction but it will lead you to a place of favor when you understand and underscore what God can do in the midst of a bloody situation. Here it is. 
Some have said that she's hemorrhaging. Some have said that she has some type of physical problem. I'm not, but the most important thing for us to understand and underscore was she was bleeding profusely. She was bleeding continuously. She was bleeding uh, without any possibility of stoppage or halting in her life. She was literally blood flowing from her body. And now that you've got your feet in the blood, now that you have left trails of the footprint, I want to encourage you on today that in the midst of this situation, these bloody footprints of this woman can foster new insights and fuel a traumatic or dramatic shift in your perspective as you face the season that's causing you to shudder in your shoes, a season that rocks your resilience, a season that blurs your perspective. So now what? Now, Chambers, after you've gotten our feet bloody, after you've caused us to smell the stench of the blood after a significant period of time, after you have clouded our judgment with this grave and traumatic image, but now what? There's a costly interruption. Here it is. There are some needful strategies that's in this text that will maneuver us through the entanglement of costly interruptions. You do know costly interruptions can entangle your life. You do know that costly interruptions can uh, turn you inside out and upside down. And you're wondering, how am I going to get out of this moment? But John is very emphatic and very uh, emphatic with his writing. He is unlike Luke, who is attentive to details. But Mark, Mark gets straight to the point. And he says, Chambers tell them in order for us to deal with costly interruptions, initially we prevail over costly interruptions by enduring the burden that must be carried. So here it is, brothers and sisters, uh, enduring the burden that must be carried because what we have to understand that a man that's born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Trouble has your address. Trouble has your email address. Trouble knows what website that you hang out on. Trouble knows where you are in the social media atmosphere. He always has your trouble. It has your address and your location. He is better than GPS. He's better than MapQuest. He can and show up on your front doorstep. But the reality is, is that all of us have got some burdens to carry. All of us have got some problems to deal with. All of us have some troubles to deal Even from the pulpit to the back door, all of us will experience our moments of carrying burdens. So here it is. Here is this woman. Here is this woman. She's, she's at a place in point. Uh, she's uh, in a moment in time where we see and witness this woman carrying these significant and overwhelming burdens. Can I describe them for me? She's carrying this XX badge. She's carrying layers of liability. She's carrying the ball and chain. She's carrying dead weight of difficulties. She's carrying this barrage of barriers. And she's wondering, how can I get through this? Have you been carrying something so similar or so heavy in your life and it has impacted your judgment and your thinking and you have to endure? Can't you hear her saying in the old Negro Vacla uh, and the mindset saying, if it ain't one thing, it's another. You fight a, 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 a miniature individual on one day and you have to fight a giant on the next day. If it ain't one thing, it's another. I'm having to carry these burdens over and over and over. Go, what shall I do? 
One is count the cost. Count the cost of carrying these birds. It's a medical problem. It's a financial problem. It's a religious problem. It's a social problem. She's having to deal with this quadrant of issues and challenges in her life. And can't you imagine her carrying those burdens one day after the next and saying, if it ain't one thing, it's another. Have you counted the cost of carrying the burdens so long by yourself? This medical problem? The Levitical writer talks about having to be away from seven days because she could not be touched. But imagine seven days goes from seven days to 12 years of carrying the same stuff over and over. And, and, and can't you imagine her getting upset and being bothered that every day she wakes up with the same problem. Go to bed, she wakes up with the same problem. She goes, she rolls over in the bed, she comes up with the same problem. Gets up in the middle of the night to try to find something to snack on to eat and the problem is still there. She has to count the cost. Brothers and sisters here to count the cost, it says, but the text says she grew worse. Let me chase to the point because she grew worse. There are seven uh, 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 phrases that talks about the intensity of the significance of the problems and the pain that had so bad that even the doctors could not resolve her issue. It is the Talmud that talks about all of these types of treatments that she had to go through. So many different things that she had to experience, even to the point of carrying ostrich eggs to deal with the moments of they didn't know what to do. So she went from the right doctor to a place of being mistreated and mishandled by her burdens. But count the cost. But not only that, but as you look at the text, look at the text very clearly. It says, and a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from the physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. But here's the shift. Here is the turning point. Here is the place where she makes a pivot. The text says in verse number 27, but when she heard, stop right there. She gave ear. She audibly heard, and there is some rendition and some language that said, suggests that she didn't just have a passive hearing. She did not have a casual hearing, but she had an antenna intentional hearing about what Jesus is able to do says when she heard so I want to suggest not only do we need to count the cost but cling to his character there are some says it was about his conquest but I want to suggest it was about the character of Christ that caused a shift in the change in her life can I help you here here it is she heard about the miracles of Jesus but but I want to suggest that it was the character who he is that kept her through the what moment. Who he is kept her through the what moment. Because all of us are going to experience a what moment. What's next? What now? But knowing who he is can help you to deal with the what's next. 
and what now? Can I help you here? If you run down that list, my sister sung it earlier, he is still sovereign. He still knows my name. The angel will respond to his call. He hears the heart of the rulers and yields at his bidding. He uses everything for his glory and your ultimate good. The grave is still a temporary housing. Heaven is a heartbeat away. God is still faithful. He's not caught off guard. He is. He, he can turn the tragedy in triumphant. He's in a class by himself. He has no equal. His character because God surrounds us in the same way that the Pacific Ocean surrounds us. At the ocean floor, the pebble is there. He's everywhere. Above or below and beside us. So when you're dealing with the what now and what next, remember who he is. She heard about Jesus. And carrying these burdens, it's more important for us to understand that it is important to deal with these burdens and deal with these moments in time. It was one day a father uh, was looking out of yonder's window, and he saw a little boy down in the sandbox. And in the midst of that sandbox, the little boy was down with his little truck. And he was trying to move the truck around, but all of a sudden he came in front of a boulder, and that boulder was there. He kept pushing and kept pushing and kept pushing, trying to get past that boulder. He did everything to prod that boulder out of the way to the point he became so upset, he became so frustrated, tears from his fell from his eyes. Then suddenly a large shadow came around the little boy. And the father said, Son, what is the problem? He says, I can't move this boulder. I can't move this large rock. He says, have you tried everything? He said, I've tried everything. He went through all the strategies that he used as a little boy in the sandbox with this big boulder. He says, but you forgot one thing. You forgot to look up to yonder's window and ask me for some help. And so I stopped by today to tell you, when you're hurting, when you're handicapped, when you're heartbroken, every now and then it requires you to reach up toward the Father and ask him for some help. Well, here it is. He says, Chambers, they tell them that a costly interruption, not only that, but we prevail over costly interruptions by prioritizing the boldness that we must be, must be communicated. Listen to what verse 27 says. And when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Here it is. And the emphatic intention of the word in the language says, and she said. And the language suggests that not only is it an imperfect test, that, that not only she said it one time, but she kept saying. She continued saying. Some have said that she was talking to herself. Then others have said that she was talking to others. But the most important thing is, is that she was talking. And here it is. It was not just any kind of talking. But it was the right kind of talking in the most radical moment in her life. Because here it is, it is the boldness that we must communicate. But I want to suggest what she did not say. First thing, she did not have self-excuses. That's what happens to many of us when we're in a fix, when we're in a bind. We use excuses. Can't you hear excuses brewing in her mind? I'm not important enough to ask Jesus for help. He's going with Jairus, so why should I bother him now? Not only do we oftentimes have self-excuses, but we have self-arguments. Have, have, have you ever been in a place where you try to argue with yourself? 
But that's the one thing she did not do. She did not argue with herself. She could have argued that nothing else will help her. So why try again? She didn't engage in that kind of talk. Uh, she, she eliminated the potential talk of regression. And she positioned herself in a place of a preferred talk. There's a difference between poisonous talk versus preferred talk. The text says, she said. And here it is, Chambers, here it is. It is, she had faith talk. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, evidence of things yet not said. She had faith talk. She had trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not to thy own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him. He shall direct her path. She had faith talk. Preferred talk versus progressive, pro, uh, regressive and poisonous talk. Faith. She said. Some have said that it is the faith that is the art of holding on the things your reason once accepted. Despite your changing moods, you got to have a preferred talk versus a poisonous talk. I don't even like to hang around with people who have poisonous talk, who have pessimistic talk, who have paralyzing talk, but give me the person who gives, gives forth a preferred talk, somebody that talks with faith. Because as a Christian, as a believer, faith is our modus operandi. It's how we operate and how we function. And her shift, her pivot came as a result of that preferred talk. And can I help you? Let me tell you what happened when she had preferred talk of faith. That radical faith led her out of the shadows of shame. Shame is a visible representation of an inferiority complex. That faith led her out of the shadows of shame. But not only did it lead her out of the shadows of, fame, uh, of, of shame, but it led her out of the funnel of frustration. That's what faith will do for you. It will help you to get to the place where you need to be. Give me faith. Jesus said we got to, well, the, the, we have to, the just live by faith. It is the modus operandi. One day there was a conversation between faith and science. They were having a conversation. And faith said to science, he said, he says, let's keep walking. He says, but I can't, I, I, I bet you, you can't name all the flowers in the garden. And science said, he attempted to name them, but he said, hold up, you forgot one flower. It's called the rose of Sharon. They kept on walking, and they got to a large quarry. And he says, I bet you can't name all the rocks. He began naming all of these intelligent type rocks. He said, but you forgot one rock. Rock of ages, cleft for me, hide me. Then they kept on walking and they got to a large forest. This is faith and science talking. He said, I bet you can't name all the trees. So he began going through all the tree lists, 
locally and internationally. He said, but you forgot one tree. It's called the tree of life. So they kept on walking, walking till they could not walk anymore. Science was still feeling good about himself because of what he was able to do. Then they came to a large body of water. And then suddenly science was mums is the word. He, he couldn't say anything. He tried to articulate. He tried to communicate what was on his mind. He couldn't say a word. And then faith said, hold up. Back up. It's my time now. He says, I know you see this large body of water, but he's still a bridge over troubled water. Is there anybody in here that can testify that when your mind says one thing, but when you have the faith in God, God can take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay. It is by the faith learning how to trust it. That's why there's some things we need to learn from Grandma Manim, if I could say it that way. There are some things that we need to learn from them. But I want to tell you that there are times and points and times in their life where they were able to take two nickels and rub them together and raise 10 and 12 children. And here we are now. Because they operated by faith. So here it is. Not only do we need to prevail with that moment of dealing with faith, but we need to prevail over costly interruption by grasping the lasting time, from, time frame of an indisputable look. Look what the text says, verse 31 and 32. Hopefully, hopefully you'll keep your Bibles open. Verse number 31 says, but his disciples said to him, you are a multitude. You're, you see the multitude thronging you and you say this. Can I say this? The woman was trying to touch the H-I-M and not the H-E-M. There's a one-letter difference. There is one that subscribes to superstition if you read the, the traditions of the text because they believe that if they could just touch the tassels according to the book of Numbers, they would have this law. They would be identified as believers, but they would have some type of moment where they would be restored and transformed. But there's a difference between touching H-E-M versus H-I-M. Here it is. This intentional look, listen to what the text says. It says, uh, verse 32, it says, and he looked around to see who had done this thing. I didn't make that up. That's what it says. It says he looked around to see her. Notice how he knew who it was, even though it was a large crowd. Because Jesus is interruptible. Jesus is accessible and Jesus is available. And because of his very nature, he knew who it was. Even when you're in the midst of a large crowd and you're thinking that nobody cares about me, nobody's concerned about me, but God knows you. But there's a difference between thronging him versus trusting him. The crowd thronged him, but she trusted him. And it activated the look of Jesus. It was an intensity of the look. The look was a continuous look, a compassionate look, a concerning look. It was an endless look. It's an empathetic look. It's a euphoric look. But it was a look from Jesus. 
The good news is, brothers and sisters, is this. The master never stops looking regardless of the gravity of our difficulties. The master never stops looking regardless of the perplexities of our issues. The master never stops looking regardless of the duration of our troubles. Isn't it good news to know that God is still looking? Look at the intensity of the look, but also look at the insulation from the look. Because the disciples, that crowd, is always around. Some have said that they were resistors. Some have said that they were spectators. Some have said that they were haters. Some have said they were just concerned. But I want to suggest as I look at this text that Jesus' look became insulation for the woman. Because when Jesus looked, it canceled the critics in the crowd. It shut down the sarcasm among the spectators. It derailed the directors of the doubters and halted the hindrances of the haters. That's what Jesus looked. That's why you don't have to shoot anybody. That's why you don't have to cut anybody. That's why you don't have to cuss anybody out. That's why you don't have to get bothered and hot. Because when Jesus looks, He sends them a cancellation notice, not in the mail, but instantaneously. That's the difference between his look. Can I help you? It was Viola Davis in her book, Finding Me, from a crumbling apartment in Central Falls, Rhode Island, uh, to the stage in the New York City beyond. She said, this is the path I took to find my purpose, who, but also find my voice in a world that didn't always see me. Watch this. She said, if I created a fable of my life, a fantasy, I see myself finally meeting God. Gushing, crying, thanking the Almighty for the accolades, the fabulous husband, the beautiful daughter, and the journey to Hollywood and the wars and the travel. She said, here it is. I can clearly see the Lord's face staring at me, talking me in and saying, you never thanked me for creating you as you. God, look is distinctive. God's look is delightful. God's look is deliberative. God's look has a delivering effect in your life. It's good news to know that God is still looking at us. But as I get ready to close on the day, the costly interruptions, uh, uh, we prevail over that by embracing the acceptance that brings us into alignment. Look at verses 33 and 34, if you will, the text says. It says here, uh, but the woman, fearing, trembling, and knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him. She, she worshiped him. She told him the whole truth. Verse 34, here it is. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. The first point I want you to look at is look back at verse number 25. The Bible says, now a certain woman. But when you shift gears and drop down to verse number 34, it says, he said to his daughter. So it is the assurance of an identity sustained by a lasting inheritance. Her DNA had shifted. Her DNA had changed. Can I help you here? In verse 25, huh, there was an identity theft that happened in verse number 25. You know anything about identity theft? Uh, when somebody has stolen your identity, they take your credit report, 
take your number, use up all your cards, and destroy your name. But the good thing is between verses 24 and 34, God canceled the identity theft. He caused her to go from a no name to now her name is daughter. Before she was nameless, before she was cashless, before she was homeless, before she was helpless. But now they call her daughter. That acceptance brought her back into alignment into who she is supposed to be. She has a new DNA, but I want to suggest that, that the assurance brings her wholeness with a lifelong worth moment uh, because it says you are now made well. So-so means to salvation, but others have said now she has collectively come together, mind, body, and spirit. And here it is. Her DNA changed, but now her demeanor was modified. No longer was she living in darkness. No longer was she living in shame. No longer was she living in utter disgust. But now her, her demeanor has been modified. But look what the text says. It says, go in peace. It literally means to go into peace, not just go in peace. Go into peace. It means to assure that her father has shaped her, uh, shaped her future by a loving father. He says, I know the plans that I have for you. The world means destruction, but I mean you good. And I want to tell you that she was accepted. It isn't it isn't amazing to know that that when you're going through affliction, when you're going through burdens, when you're going through challenges, you want to know that you've been accepted by God Almighty. But but I cannot close by telling you, but there's one thing I want to tell you that there was a doctor. His name was Dr. Paul Brand who said uh, that he had pioneered medicine and the treatment for leprosy. And the patient showed, and she, he laid his hand on the patient's shoulder. And then through a translator, Brand informed the man about the treatment that lay ahead. To his surprise, the man began to shake and muffle with sobs. Dr. Brand asked the translator, have I done something wrong? Uh, the translator quizzed the patient and reported, no doctor, he says, uh, he's crying because you put your hand uh, on, on his shoulder. And until you came here, no one had touched him for many years. And so I stopped by today to tell you, I know it's an old school song, but somebody touched me and I have not been the same. No matter what you've gone through, no matter what you've experienced in life, know that God will take care of you. Is there anybody in here that can testify that if it had not been for the Lord, oh my where would I be here today? Is there anybody in here that can hell out and holler back at a brother that the God I serve, he's well able to do exceedingly, abundantly all that I can ever ask or think or dream. And so I stopped by today to tell you, Mount Pleasant, whatever betide you, God will take care of you. Is there anybody in here that can testify if it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? I wonder, do you know him? He's a highway to heaven. He's a key to knowledge. He's a way to wisdom. Have you ever tried him? Won't he, won't he? Won't he, won't he, won't he? Come and see about you. Ain't the Lord all right? I'm talking about 
about a costly interruption. But late one Friday night, there was a costly interruption. But they hung him high and they stretched him wide. He's out! He's out! To the moon dripped away in blood. He's out! To the earth had an epileptic fit. He's out! Yeah! Yeah! Won't he do it? Won't he come and see about you? Ain't he all right? Help me say all right. Let me close by telling you, one day, Jimmy was in trouble. And when he got in trouble, the word is on the street that Jimmy, they told Jimmy to go to the job corps. Jimmy went there and filled out an application. But he discovered that he was not eligible. But the spirit of the God told him to write down the first letter that you began uh, went to uh, and he wrote down the letter J uh, then the next day he went to the employment service uh, and they said the spirit of the living God uh, told Jimmy to write down the word of the place that you be in. Uh, he wrote down E uh, the next time he went to the Salvation Army uh, and the spirit of God uh, said write down where you be in. Uh, and he wrote down S uh, and now he's got J uh, now he's got E uh, now he's got S and the Spirit of God told him to go to the United Way and write down the first letter of the place that you're being and he wrote down you and the salvation the place that he went was a salvation army and then Jimmy went into bed rocked all night long couldn't sleep at night uh, and the spirit of the God uh, told him to get up in the morning uh, and see where you've been uh, and Jimmy says it's not making sense uh, I went to the J uh, I went to the E uh, I went to the S uh, I went to the U uh, when he went to the S again uh, Jimmy scratched his head uh, and said I know what I need to do now uh, I just need to try Jesus uh, and I start wild well, to tell you to tell you today uh, that you gotta try Jesus uh, he'll put running in your feet uh, clapping in your hands uh, shy, shy, yeah! you've been listening to the mount on the go podcast if you've been enjoying the word please consider donating to the mount pleasant ministry We have various ways that you can give to the ministry to allow us to become better in our pursuit of delivering God's word to you. You can give via PayPal at mtpleasantatl.org. You can give via Zale, info at mtpleasantatl.org. You can also give via Square and Giveify. For Giveify, just search for Mount Pleasant Baptist Church with our address, 17 Melvin Avenue, Southeast Atlanta, Georgia, and you'll be in the right place. In addition to all these options, you're always welcome and invited to grab an envelope and have cash or checks sent to the church, whose address is again, 17 Millen Avenue, Southeast Atlanta, Georgia. For questions, comments, and concerns, feel free to email us at info at mtpleasantatl.org. That's info at mtpleasantatl.org. You can also visit our website, www.mountpleasantatl.org, to follow us on YouTube and Facebook for the video version of the podcast. Our services are live every Sunday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you are more than welcome to visit the church in person every Sunday at the same time. Thank you so much for listening.